0: disclaimer. The following content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. What's up, guys
1: and gals?
0: Welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm Graham, or at least that's what my RFID tag tells me.
1: And I'm Dave. That's what my birth certificate says.
0: Great. Well, guys, we got a fun episode for y'all today featuring a little roundtable discussion we had with one of our co-workers.
1: That's right. Brandon Green, he read a recent op-ed for Bitcoin Magazine on why electrical companies should be scrambling to get on Bitcoin mining. And considering the fact that Bitcoin mining in total, uses the electrical power equivalent to the size of New Zealand. Wow. You would think that'd be a pretty penny for those energy companies.
0: Yep, it's sitting there waiting. But uh, of course, our conversation derails into several different topics like universal basic income, Trump, education.
1: And of course, the great debate on what candy bar equivalents would be the most popular (laughs) cryptocurrency.
0: That was a fun one. But before we get into all that, guys, we'd like to take a
1: quick moment to tell you about the CoinMine 1. The CoinMine One is the first all-in-one crypto device that's made for everyone. No expertise required. Just plug it in, connect to Wi-Fi,
0: and pick the coin you want to mine via the CoinMine mobile app, compatible with all iOS and Android
1: devices. It can mine your favorite cryptocurrencies, which are then immediately stored in your in-app digital wallet. CoinMine even adds new cryptocurrencies when they first launch, like Grin and Handshake, and sometimes before they even make it to the exchanges. It's
0: lightning fast. And speaking of lightning... It's also a Bitcoin Lightning node, so you can send and receive Bitcoin with anyone, anywhere, instantly for near zero cost. With Bitcoin mode, all your earnings are automatically converted into Bitcoin, and eventually they'll be able to go directly to your Lightning channels.
1: On top of all that, the coin mine is automatically upgraded over the air, so you don't have to waste time keeping the software up to date or adding new cryptocurrencies when they launch.
0: This is a great device for anyone who's ever been interested remotely about mining but didn't really want to go down the technical rabbit hole
1: like me. So what are you waiting for? Go to coinmine.com slash bitmag and get $50 off your next cryptocurrency miner. Again, that's coinmine.com slash bitmag for $50 off.
2: I mean, uh, I'm really, I'm a fan of all candies. I would say, or, or not all candies. I'm not, I'm not, I'm a chocolate right. guy, not a candy guy.
0: You're right, though. It, it says there's a Reese's Take Five. Oh, cool. No, and it might have just spun off into its own thing.
2: Yeah. I guess it could have. But, uh, one of the only chocolate candies that I don't like would be like the Butterfinger, which I know, you know, there are people in this office who are big Butterfingers fans. Mm-hmm. David um, is, isn't he? David yeah. Bailey being one of the primary Butterfinger guys. But, uh, they just don't do it for me, you know. And it's yeah. like it's so buttery in the middle, yeah, and then it like clumps into your teeth.
0: Oh man, like cakes your teeth. Yeah, it's Ish. almost the, yeah. the
2: the eating experience isn't isn't the ten out of ten.
0: Yeah, it's it's I don't know. Butterfinger is one of those weird things that like I'll enjoy it, like really, really enjoy it, but very sporadically. They're like, oh, I haven't had a Butterfinger in like a year. Yeah, and it's and like it's sitting one. right here. And then I don't ever want, I don't want it again for a long time. Right, exactly. (laughs) I like I can enjoy Snickers like Mm -hmm. more regularly, but
2: that's sort of like the standard bar, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, the one that I like, uh, really enjoyed a lot until I kind of ate myself out of it, you know, was, uh, the Almond Joy. Yeah. Almond Joys are so good. good. I but feel like,
0: like the cryptocurrency crowd would like almond joys. I don't know why, because it seems like the wow. alternative candy bar. Oh. you know what I mean. That's yeah. fair. Like your like your normal person would probably just like stick to Snickers or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like cryptocurrency people, like they're on the fringe, you know. So you're like I'm gonna go to the bottom of the shelf, and that's where the almond joys are. It'd be a great or like a what you call it.
2: Yeah, it'd be like yeah. a great branding exercise for them to be like try and claim that they're the official. Uh, chocolate bar of Bitcoiners, you know. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. There good. is no official chocolate bar of Bitcoiners. Well,
0: also, I was going to ask you if, if let's let's take the top five cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. What what's their candy bar equivalent?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. I would say, so, and you see, so I would actually say though, like Bitcoin would be the Hershey's bar, right? You know, yeah. it's like it's tried and true. It's the original. You don't need to fuss with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Ethereum, and that would be like your Snickers, right? Because it's like, oh, look at us! You know, we're chocolate and we're caramel and we're peanuts and we're like all this kind of stuff going together. They're and, trying
0: to do everything, yeah. And yeah. we're like,
2: they're they're yeah. trying to. I think it was you that said it, but like they're trying to like be the standard candy bar that everyone thinks about. Maybe you said that, uh, Graham. But uh, yes, yeah, like Snickers is just kind of like the standard. Yeah. So I feel like that's that's what Ethereum is, and then like Ripple, Ripple <laughs> would be like, dude, Butterfinger. I think. Ripple, Ripple could probably be a Butterfinger. Uh, it could also be, like, I could see it being, like, an M&M, you mm-hmm. know? Because everyone's like, oh, like, it's a candy. Like, it counts as a candy bar. But, like, it's not a candy bar. No. You know? Uh, I hate when they take M&Ms and put them in candy bars. Oh, like, yeah. I don't get the point. It's not mm-hmm. a good eating experience either. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, this is nice and, like, creamy chocolate. And, oh, there's a hard it's like candy other shell chocolate just inside.
0: Like, someone just <laughs> cr- crunched up glass and threw it in your candy bar. Yeah. So... Well, what, I mean, the next one down is, you know, we got to like, there's Litecoin and then like Bcash. Mm. What's Bcash? Is that, is that a Hershey's Almond Bar? <laughs> <laughs> like they took the tried and true and threw a bunch of
2: uh quote, I'm doing air quotes, improvements. So I would say, first of all, the uh, uh, Litecoin would be like a Hershey's Kiss, right? Okay. Cause you know it's it's still that Hershey's bar just in a different form and like everyone, if oh, you, yeah. if you have the the That's choice good. between a Hershey's bar and a Hershey's kiss. You're gonna have to take the Hershey's bar, but like a lot of people love to give out kisses for you know Halloween and stuff. So uh, uh, especially my neighbor, it's got its niche kind of. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, no one is excited about getting Hershey's kisses for Halloween, but uh, oh, oh no, oh, I actual. <laughs> 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 that one right over my
0: head. Um, well, if you're still with us, obviously we're joined by our coworker, Brandon. Hey guys. I don't, we don't give away last names on this show, by no, the way.
2: Good.
1: We don't we, do last names. We
0: don't do last names. Although people probably know by now. Yeah. But, um, Brandon, you recently wrote, uh, an opinion piece that we'd like to talk to you about today.
2: I did. Yes. Uh,
0: and not the one on Taylor Swift's, uh, contract
2: <coughs> dispute. Yeah. Yeah, was, I'm very opinionated on that, but uh, nor, nor I'd save those <laughs> opinions for myself.
1: Nor the one on Trump's immigration policy, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It's a few pages long. It's actually about sixty, and you can find it on Bloomberg. But we're not talking about that one. I thought,
0: know. Dave, I thought you were going to say I thoroughly enjoyed Trump's immigration policy. <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> you know, children in cages. It's a real uh, uh, oh god, great new uh, idea. It's it's really catching on. Oh god, sarcasm hashtag okay. sarcasm.
0: In all seriousness, uh, the article you wrote is called "Bitcoin uses a lot of energy, so where are the energy companies?" Um, can you just sort of break down why you wrote this? How you how you like kind of got around to even, you know, approaching this topic?
2: Yeah. So, uh, for starters, I'm coming from you know I work here at BTC. We run Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, we are definitely one of the bigger kind of, uh, microphones for Bitcoin. Uh, but being, you know, so involved in the space and seeing all the storylines, I kind of got the sense that we're starting to repeat ourselves. You know, Mm. there's a lot of, uh, uh, trendy things. Everyone now has written their own uh, opinion piece about, you know, uh, For instance, mining uh, uses a lot of energy, but it's all renewables, you know, so good for us. And like, uh, you know, the havening's coming and uh, institutions are coming and, you know, fill in fill in the blank. It's all been said before. Kind of the repetition of narratives. Yeah. Yeah. And that's effective. But, you know, for someone who's in Bitcoin and who already knows all those narratives, uh, I wanted to kind of talk about something that maybe people haven't really uh, discussed as much. And I'm sure there's, you know, tons of pieces out there on this, but... Uh, not something that I've seen, you know, as concisely put, and so that was kind of my goal.
1: Yeah, and and you know, first I just think like as a uh, you do a lot of op-ed, right? Um, op-ed articles for Bitcoin Magazine, and I always think that's interesting. Uh, why you take the op-ed approach as opposed to trying to like cover a topic?
2: You know, uh, I think it's because I'm not you know a writer for Bitcoin Magazine, so. I really only put together these long form pieces when something really catches my uh, attention or, you know, piques my interest. And so I kind of want to sink my teeth into it. And a lot of times it doesn't come in the form of a news story or, uh, you know, something too relevant to what's going on today. So it tends to just kind of take shape of an op ed more so.
1: That's cool, though. You get to go at your own uh, at your own rhythm as opposed to like reacting. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the stuff out there, like you said,
0: it's sort of an echo chamber, a lot of knee-jerk reaction stuff.
1: Um, that's news in general, too.
0: That, that, I mean, that is downside, true. Downside. And know. even more so in crypto, because it's. I personally think it's a lot of just, like, sitting around waiting. But, mm-hmm. it, I mean, that's just what it, it's an experiment right now. So, we're just kind of, like, waiting for the next thing to happen. And then we all jump on it. Like, remember, the, remember Libra month? Yeah, Libra Got, month. Yeah, everything was Libra. That It was just like,
1: okay. And Everybody no had their opinion. Everybody was was coming to say that they could talk about They
0: we were so big. This is huge. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty big, but, um, I'm glad we're not all talking about it every stinking day.
2: Well, and you know, uh, uh, my real quick, my hot take two cents on this too, yeah. is that one thing that Bitcoin magazine does well is it tends to be a little bit slower on the gun on a lot of these kind of hot button news topics. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the more interesting ones is that, uh, In this space, trust is so important, and it's so hard to come by, right? Like, this is the space that's probably the most full of scammers anywhere out there. Uh, But that means that if you kind of mishandle someone's trust, even, like, maybe not on purpose. Maybe you just, you know, didn't uh, uh, get a story right the first time around because not all the facts were, like, uh, gathered, but you still wanted to put something out, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, All of a sudden you can very quickly kind of harm your trust with the community.
0: Absolutely. And,
2: uh, uh, fortunately, you know, because we've taken this kind of metered approach and more thought out, more thoughtful, uh, uh, narrative pieces, uh, we've managed to do a, I think a pretty good job of getting the story right the first time. And, uh, that really helps kind of maintain us as, uh, the, I believe the most trusted voice in Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, there's my two, two cents and totally unbiased opinion on that. But, uh, (laughs) But it is what it is We're the best source, we're the best voice We have the best
0: writers Everybody loves us Everybody loves us, they're just the best <laughs> I think we do a Trump impersonation uh, Trump impersonation, Literally at least every other episode
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I'm still not good at it I
0: don't. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, your Trump impersonation Kind of sounds a little like a robot But he is sort of He kind of does talk robotically
2: really Robot with that? big lips <laughs> <laughs>
1: And Dave is leaving. Walking out. Uh, Yeah, so energy consumption. Yes. How long have you been thinking about, like, the Bitcoin energy consumption problem?
2: Yeah, so, I mean... uh... I would say probably about as long as everyone else has, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's been a, a pretty big forefront kind of story, especially in the mainstream, especially as a criticism of Bitcoin for a long time now. Uh, and so everyone's kind of been ruminating on this, and there are some really good counter arguments uh, to Bitcoin's energy consumption, kind of like what we already touched on earlier. But uh, what kind of hit me is we're also kind of running uh, uh, Bitcoin 2019, Bitcoin 2020 now that we just announced a couple days ago, uh, and one of the kind of exercises that we have to do is we have to look around at all the companies that are in the Bitcoin space, and then look around at all the companies that aren't in the Bitcoin space, but that we strongly believe should be, and uh, and just haven't manifest themselves anywhere around uh, uh, you know the public facing kind of uh, face of Bitcoin. And one of the the spaces that just jumps out, really jumps off the page at you is energy companies. I mean, they probably make more off Bitcoin than any other industry in the world. Uh, you know, there's a bold statement, but I mean, I, I crunched the numbers right here in the article. And I think uh, you get to somewhere around uh, 7 Or eight million dollars a day spent on electricity by miners. So we're talking, you know, times that by three hundred. You're saying powering,
0: powering miners, not
2: yes, yeah. So what do miners spend on electricity on average? Uh, If okay, if they were gonna, I have the number for if they were gonna do in the U.S., which is a little bit higher price than what the average cost of a miner is, which I think is like point. uh uh, or like five cents per kilowatt hour ish Mm -hmm. so doing the math there would probably maybe round out to like 6.5 million per day but still i mean 6.5 million dollars a day being spent by miners like i don't think there's maybe bitmex has more in trading volume uh that they get in (laughs) fees but i don't know i mean that is a huge industry that is making tons of money off bitcoin and it's just like where are you guys like you should be fighting tooth and nail to get as much bitcoin mining business as you possibly can Mm -hmm. uh kind of for the reasons outlined but like this is predictable steady stream of money it's like someone shooting nickels into a a jar and uh them just collecting the jar every day and it's just a constant stream i mean every single company should want this this is the ideal customer and and like one of
1: the reasons you lay out for why that is is that bitcoin mining is it's uh it's a it's a plateau, basically. It's, they're, it's always, Bitcoin miners are always consuming energy, whereas like humans, for instance, are going to be turning their electricity on and off constantly.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, so it's a steady draw, like you said. Uh, one of the biggest places that energy companies will lose money, like power suppliers will lose money, is the unpredictableness of uh, the power grid. Now, they have a lot of different ways they've optimized for this, And, uh, you know, they have a pretty good predictive kind of technology to tell when there's going to be a sudden surge and people turning lights on, you know, as the sun goes down or primetime television comes on and they can kind of uh, bake that into the way that they're, you know, firing off their coal plants or, you know, what have you. But, uh, you know, it still is an ultimately an optimization problem uh, and there's still going to be minimized profits in those kind of uh, inflection points in energy draw. Right. And so what Bitcoin doesn't have is that. It's, it's so steady, it's so predictable, and it's literally just printing money for these uh, energy providers.
0: But you also said that a lot of energy is wasted, right? And okay. that's
2: just because it's, these other areas are unpredictable? Well, yeah. So, so kind of flip the problem on its head, right? If you're producing a whole bunch of energy, uh, uh, a whole bunch of electricity, and then you find that the power grid isn't using all of it, right? Now you got to figure out a way to store that excess capacity. Uh, And there are some ways that they do it, you know, uh, um, you can create a system where you pump water up a hill, and then that potential energy stored in the water, uh, you can let it out later on, and it flows down and it basically like uh, uh, runs a little, you know, turbine and produces electricity later, you can put it all in a battery, but like all these things are added on. Uh, ways to kind of store electricity and ultimately all of them introduce inefficiencies into the system it probably
0: takes resources just to do that just to save it so right it takes more work and you're potentially
2: not even going to use it exactly right and you know batteries have a capacity so mm-hmm. does pumping up a water uh, water up a hill batteries and, are expensive yeah. we're getting better at these things but the the bitcoin solution just kind of like erases that problem altogether. And that's what everyone would kind of prefer if given the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and even if even if you had Bitcoin mining, it's not like they're, they've still, like power companies could still use the battery technique to to like save more energy if they needed to. This is just like the best case they could have for clients. Totally, totally. So, so let me
0: ask you this. What does this scenario look like um, as far as like getting to these miners? Are we talking about, An energy company saying, hey, come set up mining facilities near us or like with us? Like, how do you, how would you see that working?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I couldn't tell you what happens behind, you know, closed doors kind of thing, how those negotiations go about. What I can point out, though, is that if you look at uh, mining today, it is almost entirely done, or at least a, a vast majority is done in China. And why is that? Well, it's because China. Uh, as part of their deal to uh, bring their country to a more renewable energy uh, uh, forefront. World domination. World domination, yeah, uh, all of that. Uh, This is actually, I think, uh, gosh, I'm not going to say exactly where it was because I can't remember off the top of my head and I don't want to misquote, but uh, one of these kind of international agreements to make your country go to X amount of renewable energy. Uh, China did it by basically building a whole bunch of hydroelectric power and a bunch of areas of China where it's totally rural and like no one lives there and therefore <laughs> right. no one actually uses this power they're doing. But on paper, they're now going towards, you know, 20 percent renewables. Uh, so they have this huge amount of excess capacity of, of kind of energy production and literally nothing to use it on. And so these mining companies have uh, somehow or another contacted these uh, companies that are running these hydroelectric plants uh, and basically said, hey, you know, you're not using all this electricity, but it's all here you know, can we use it to mine for X amount of dollars? And it's like, either we just let this all go to waste or we say yes and make a whole bunch of money. And it kind of becomes a no brainer for them. Right. Uh, I would see very similar conversations happening in the U.S. I mean, there's tons of areas that have maybe not the extent of a full on electric, you know, hydroelectric power grid that is just waiting to have a customer, but there's excess capacity all the time, uh, in all sorts of different areas and, Mining is so plug and play, uh, pardon the pun, that (laughs) you can, like, it doesn't take a ton in order for you to start actually mining somewhere and start making money. And so it's just, it's such a no-brainer. I keep coming back to that. It is is such a no-brainer for these power companies to start talking to these big mining farms and figure out ways to work together. Yeah, I mean, I imagine the other side of that, too, is them just not
0: understanding Bitcoin yet, right? So it's just, it's still everything kind of falls back in that adoption
2: uh, cycle. Absolutely. Cycle,
0: but uh, d- problem, I guess.
2: But you know what that means, though, is that this isn't a question of aligned incentives. It's a question of time, right? right? So yeah. eventually the answer is going to be, here we are, here are the mining company, or here are the power companies. They're here. They're talking to the miners. Uh, it, we just haven't gotten there yet. And so like, this is supposed to, you know, it's not like a I, I would be surprised if a whole bunch of power companies were reading Bitcoin magazine. But, you know, maybe someone who knows someone uh, eventually sees this and passes it along. And it could be just like a, a little marble in a jar of boulders that uh, can start getting this ball rolling.
1: Yeah. And, Interesting. and, and Brandon, I, I know like uh, we talked earlier, like in the hall, and you'd kind of also brought up the fact that really they don't need to even know that much about what Bitcoin does or how it works or anything like that. They just need to know their return on their investment, basically.
2: Right. It's uh can you sign this contract that uh agrees to, you know, 5 cents per kilowatt hour and uh draw, you know, 1 gigawatt a day. Uh and if your answer is yes, then like we have a deal. And uh mining companies can figure out all the rest, you know, they can build the the stuff. It's just the power company agreeing to this set price for their power. Mm. And uh they yeah, you know, it's a good point. They don't need to know exactly how Bitcoin works to know a good deal when they see one.
0: Yeah. You've, I've heard you talk a lot about uh, the future of solar and wind and renewable resources too. Where do you think that fits into the equation? Where it's a do great those question. Lie?
2: So, first of all, uh, one of the most interesting stories I think is uh, the story of Bitmain. And I'll, you'll see where I'm going in a second. But Bitmain came onto the scene in, uh, I don't know what year, maybe like 2012, uh, 2011, something like that. Uh, started democratizing mining. Uh, they created these rigs, they could sell them, uh, you know, in somewhat of a manufacturing uh, capacity uh, to customers and customers could run them. And uh, it like it democratized mining. The the chips in the miners started out being consumer grade. A consumer could basically go out uh, to, uh, you know, Radio Shack or whatever. Uh, <laughs> definitely not Radio Shack, but, uh, you know, Amazon and buy these chips. Uh, they were not cutting edge. But because uh, Bitmain had aligned incentives where the more they optimized their uh, chips, the more they got to the cutting edge, the more money they would make off their miners, and therefore the more money they can pour onto research and development to create even better chips. And so it's this positive feedback loop where if you can make more money doing research and implementing that research into your product, you're going to continue to do that and you're going to continue to get to the cutting edge. And nowadays, uh, Bitmain is pushing you know, Intel and Samsung on the the cutting edge of uh, chip manufacturing technology, and it took less than a decade uh, for them to go from consumer grade to high, high, high-end chips. The same thing, the same positive feedback mechanism exists absolutely for something like solar energy, where if you've got a miner attached to a solar panel, uh, and that miner is now just printing free money uh, because, you know, solar energy going straight to a solar panel going straight to a miner... Uh, you know, there's no draw right there in terms of uh, uh, fixed electricity cost. Y- you can basically just take that miner uh, and the money that it makes and put it into research and development to create even better solar panels. That's super uh, interesting. And and the, it, the exact, it, it works. Like, it's not like this is some theory. You can just look at it and say, oh, yeah, this totally makes sense that this kind of feedback mechanism would work. So I think uh, Bitcoin mining should be one of the biggest uh, catalysts of research and development in uh, solar energy and in some of these renewable energy sectors.
1: Well, you're talking about these, like, power grids, and, like, obviously my, like, one-track mind goes to Chernobyl, uh, <laughs> just because that's, like, the last I've, like, l- really looked into, like, nuclear, you know, like any sort of energy things, nuclear reactors. And I was thinking about how they explained how the nuclear reactor works. Mm-hmm. And Are you talking about the end
2: scene where he... Yeah, the blue and the red. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, cards. And they're like trying to control power levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I was thinking about how funny, like, that's exactly like what the Fed does. Yeah. Like verbatim is they're like trying to control like inflation and interest rates and exchange rates. Right. It's like kind of crazy.
0: Have you ever seen uh, National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation? No, with Chevy Chase. There's a part. There's I'm connecting a lot of dots here because there's a part where he's at the Hoover Dam. Yeah. So we're talking about hydroelectric power, Hoover Dam. You're talking about <laughs> controlling resources and power. Well, there's a scene where he's in the dam and he, uh, I think he like touches the wall and like a bunch of water starts spraying out. And then he takes his gum and he like tries to plug it up. And then another like spout comes out. It's like a like classic like yeah. You know, Abbott and Costello gag but that's how I imagine the Federal Reserve is working and there's like all these leaks and they're just like okay like let's move resources over here yeah Uh, let's raise interest rates over here it's just
2: just, all this stuff
0: is like just constantly
2: like firing off well so what's actually really interesting is you remember Paris Mm -hmm. so Paris got his master's in process controls and process controls is like one of the most difficult uh kind of areas for engineering Because it's basically, uh, you know, kind of the intro to process controls, at least for chemical engineers, which is my background, uh, is the the two bucket experiment. Where basically you have one bucket uh, with a little hole in it and then another bucket below. uh, And then you have like maybe a drain on the second bucket. And this hole doesn't allow you. And basically you have a a hose going into the top bucket. Right. And uh, the hole isn't big enough for all the water from the hose to go straight to the second bucket. Right. So some of it starts accumulating in the first bucket. And then, as it accumulates, that changes the speed through which it flows through that hole and into the second bucket. And basically, uh, you create, you can put a little uh, uh, volume uh, meter on the second bucket to see when it reaches a certain level. And your goal is basically to change the rate of the hose, uh, like the water flowing through the hose, so that you get steady state uh, flow through both buckets. Basically, whatever is coming through the hose. Equals the amount that's going out of the second bucket. Right. And uh, if you're only doing it by measuring the volume of the second bucket, then you have this variability in the first bucket that basically makes it so that first it'll cut the hose uh, uh, amount. And then uh, you'll still have a lot of drainage from that first bucket. But now the drain the bucket one starts decreasing in volume. And then uh, bucket two will be increasing in volume after it does this change on the hose. And so you see these like delayed effects, basically, is what I'm getting to of whatever uh, kind of variable you're actually controlling. And you have to figure out how to account for those delayed effects and be able to, uh, you know, kind of predict what those effects will look like before everything happens uh, so that you can ultimately get the desired result. Right. Uh, So put another way, basically, it's like if I am uh, the Fed and I'm controlling the economy. And I know that if I lower interest rates, it's going to print more money, which then uh, allows for more investment into banks, which then allows for more people getting uh, uh, mortgages, which allows for more people to be, you know, saving uh, or, you know, investing. And so like like all these different because they don't want to keep all their money in a bank because the interest rates are too low. They can put in the stock market, right? So if their goal is to prop up the stock market, they have to, all they can change is the interest rate. They have to basically have these really accurate predictive kind of mechanisms to see the process through which that money flows from lowered interest rates to people buying more stocks. And it's just it's not a direct thing. And so all these other things are kind of like uh, uh happening on the sideline. And it's, you know, if economies were efficient, Keynesian economics could make sense, right? But you just uh the fundamental assumption of it is that all humans will behave rationally in a rational market, and that right there is the (laughs) fundamental flaw of Keynesian economics. I mean, it just is. Uh, Humans are irrational, and you cannot predict all the other external extenuating circumstances that are going to affect what you're doing. Uh, And so, you know... uh, uh, So you're
0: saying most people buy high and sell low.
2: Well, you know, (laughs) being in the Bitcoin space, I can tell you for a (laughs) fact most people buy high and sell low. Wait, so how how would you compare
1: Austrian economics as being... Like if Keynesian is... is uh, How did you explain it? Um, yeah, so I would if say... If it's everyone acting rationally, what's Austrian economics?
2: I would say uh, if you want to kind of compare nuts to nuts, uh, the fundamental tenet of Keynesian economics is humans will behave rationally in a rational market, right? And then they kind of build... It's like the I think, therefore I am of Keynesian. Mm-hmm. The I think, therefore I am of Austrian economics is that the market will outcompete any one central entity. I think that is actually a very provable uh, fundamental tenant. I mean, because you can't point to a single entity ever that has outcompeted a market if you change the timescale to you know long enough. Every single empire that's ever existed has fallen. Every single currency that's ever existed has debased in value. Every single company that has ever existed uh, you know, either has failed or will fail, right? I mean, it's kind of the the fundamental truth. Even some of the, the big stalwart uh, kind of companies of the U.S., think your retailers, think Macy's, Sears, you know, uh, J- J.C. Penney who's now like below $1 in stock price, you know. Ultimately, they're going to get outcompeted by someone who's nimbler like an Amazon. Uh, it's just the way the market works. And so when you start by that fundamental thesis, you can now build much more accurate uh, economic models. Uh, and, you know, maybe the best economic model you can possibly build is something like Bitcoin, where you have no single entity controlling it. There's no single person who's going to end up getting out competed by everyone because everyone controls it. It is the market controlling the currency. And like that is... Bitcoin is Keynesian economics in uh practice. You mean Austrian economics? I mean, yeah, sorry, Austrian yeah. economics. I
0: was I was asking Dave this the other day like in this moon, you know, to the moon scenario where Bitcoin is adopted and everybody's using it, what does the inequality look like between the people who have a bunch of Bitcoin, who are buying a lot of it right now as opposed to the people who got in way too late and are now forced to like adopt this new method like what does that look like because i mean i people are like filthy rich right now what happens in 20 30
2: years so uh if you want you know i kind of had written out a while back some bold predictions for the next bull market Mm -hmm. uh one of those bold predictions is going to be that satoshi uh will be the richest person in the world in the next bull market Uh, if he's still alive yeah, well, whoever he Who, is, they, they are. Yeah, sure. uh, Any- She, Satoshi, right? Uh, whoever it is will be the richest entity person in the world uh, in this next bull market. It can totally happen. Uh, right now, I think Satoshi is uh, a billionaire, right? I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a million, I million you, I coins how much- times $10,000 uh, a coin, that's uh, $10 billion, right? Let's do a quick calculation. Uh, on my smart machine. Crunching the numbers in my head. I think that's right. What did you say? 10 million coins? If he has a million coins at 10K Bitcoin prices, that should be 10 billion. So... Uh,
0: I believe so. One, two, If you
2: want to do, you know, say the next bull market goes to 350K, uh, you know, times that basically by 3.5, or uh, uh, 35, and uh, you've got Satoshi sitting at, you know, 350 billion dollars, Uh, and net worth just from, you know, these, these few wallets that we know he mined to. So,
1: yeah. So, so, uh, when Bitcoin was at 20,000, um, back in December, 2017, Satoshi was worth $19.6 billion and that made him the 56th richest
2: person alive. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, just wait till the next bull market, but, uh, Back to your actual question, right? Which is uh, the disparity between the top and the bottom. Yes, it is going to happen. I mean, it's just it's a fact. Uh, there's no way to redistribute the wealth of Bitcoin uh, from the people who own a lot of it to the people who own a little of it without uh, them actually just without using guns, sure. which is you know has been done before, yeah. right? Uh, the caveat though is that you're creating a deflationary system so that the people who own a little bit of Bitcoin, that little bit of Bitcoin will always grow in value in regards to the rest of the world, right? This is in hyper-Bitcoinization, which, you know, we are, we're assuming here. But, uh, the, you know, there's never going to be more Bitcoin printed than the 21 million, and even that, you've got, you know, 4 million that's lost, uh, and more and more will be lost or will be trapped as dust in wallets for the rest of time, right? And so even though maybe today... I'm sitting on 0.1 or 0.001 bitcoins. A year from today, that may be worth you know the equivalent of 0.002 bitcoins today, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, you do have the disparity of of wealth, but you also have the rising tide lifting all boats, and that's what we don't have today, right? The people who make you know $10,000 a year in salary don't get to sit on those $10,000. Uh, or whatever amount they don't have to immediately turn into consumption mm-hmm. and have that grow in value. No, they're actually being inflated out of the system even more, and now they're ten thousand dollars worth nine thousand. And like they they're trapped in a vicious cycle that literally beats down our lowest people because they don't have access to the financial tools that the rest of us have. Yeah, that's what Bitcoin's about. But you're never gonna be able to uh, produce equity of outcomes, right? You're never gonna uh, have the the top equal the bottom. Uh, that's a utopia. That's socialism, uh, and it's just—it's it, not going to happen in a way that people don't get killed, right? It never has. It never will. What you can optimize for, though, is to create a system where the bottom ten percent aren't priced out of the ability to interact in a society in a in a value adding and value deriving way, uh, and that's what we're creating. Guys, should we take a quick break? Yeah, let's take a break. Okay, we'll be right back.
1: So, Dave, what have you been working on lately? Not too much, dude. Just surfing the dark net. Um, a little scared to ask, but why? Privacy, bro. A wise man once said, prudence counsels prevention. Huh? I was getting a bunch of spam emails. It was driving me nuts. So I figured I'd move to a private browser that doesn't collect all my data.
0: Well, Dave, now that you mention it, our newest sponsor, Haven, is a privacy-focused app that is made for someone just like you.
1: Ooh, Haven. It's for buying and selling things online, right?
0: Yeah, not just that. It's actually the world's first privacy-focused shopping and chatting app for iOS and Android. You can shop and chat with other users under the security of end-to-end encryption.
1: It says here that Haven also lets you buy and sell with cryptocurrencies like Litecoin, Zcash, and of course, the much more proportionally greater by market capitalization, Bitcoin.
0: Bitcoin? Hmm, I'll have to look into that. Well, Haven sounds like Craigslist for the modern-day cypherpunk. How
1: does its privacy work? Haven uses several advanced technologies to keep your information private while being simple to use. You don't need to know how decentralization, cryptocurrency, or end-to-end encryption work. They just work for you on Haven.
0: The keys to your cryptocurrency, the data about your transactions, all your chat messages, all that sensitive information is stored on your device locally and is completely in your control.
1: Right, and all communication with other nodes is peer-to-peer and end-to-end encrypted. There's no middlemen involved in transactions. Well, Dave, if there's one thing I hate above all things, it's middlemen. Middlemen can die. They can die a coward's death. Check out Haven today. It's available on iOS and Android app stores. I was reading
0: something today about uh, the problem with minimum wage and just how the U.S. hasn't factored for inflation ever uh, like every other country does yeah and so it like it rises like automatically with inflation so people can actually like live on a minimum wage uh-huh and uh i just thought it was fascinating that the country that can just do whatever they want because they're so rich can't even provide the basic needs for its people right and, and uh, then you know the flip it's, it's side really troubling
2: the flip side too is uh uh yes we have not indexed minimum wage at all with inflation uh, and then a few places are like, you know what? We're going to do it right now. And then you have like Seattle jumping from a seven fifty minimum wage to a, a fifteen dollar minimum wage, like in the span of a year or so. Yeah. And it's well, like, well, what kind of shock does that? Add I to think the system, Washington right? yeah. is
0: one of the only states that actually, at a state level, changed their their uh, minimum wage system to actually account for inflation. So right. I think that's why it, it caught up really fast, and they're gonna, it's gonna keep going up incrementally with inflation
2: right but it's just like uh a, a, that's a dangerous thing to try to all of a sudden have like uh
0: inflation an, in general like at what point does it just bottom out
2: you know oh well, yeah uh, another thing
1: about minimum wage too and i don't know if this is valid because i think accounting for inflation is i think that's just basically what like should be done so that everybody can you know keep the same level of means they have but the other argument is, is if you increase minimum wage too high, it'll just lead to automation. It'll just be like that 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 might be what like the market demands. Mm-hmm. So like people, companies will try to automate things more readily if they have to pay workers higher. It's just going right. to push us towards automation.
2: Yeah, dude, we could have a uh, two and a half, three hour conversation on just that topic right there. Yeah, I mean, oh, uh, for sure. I some of the most interesting thought in politics right now is happening around that problem of automation, uh, and like challenges to solutions. You know, uh, Andrew Yang's uh, problem or Andrew Yang's solution uh, is a really interesting one in my opinion. I mean, it it is very much deserving of real thought and critique around. Because Are you talking
0: about the thousand dollars a month? The, yeah, the UBI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: it is in a lot of ways it's brilliant. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's dangerous. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. like uh, it's so interesting to kind of uh, fully formulate. In a lot of ways, it's good for Bitcoin, right? But uh, yeah.
0: uh, know, it's funny. I asked that question on Twitter. I was like, "What would you do with an extra thousand a day?" And not a single person said buy Bitcoin. But <laughs> I don't have a lot of Bitcoin followers, so follow me on Twitter. Yeah, where are you guys? I'm at Grambo First Blood. Obviously a big Rambo fan. So nice, nice. I'm gonna cut that out.
1: <laughs> uh I'm not saying I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not saying that.
2: But yeah, guys, like uh if you wanna look at a, a really interesting, like three pronged uh look at uh automation, look at Andrew Yang and and Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. uh that podcast, look at uh Naval and Joe Rogan. Because uh, in that podcast, he actually talks kind of and speaks to uh, Andrew Yang's kind of UBI mm-hmm. uh, and has some very valid critiques for it. I've
1: heard that one, the Naval one; it's really good. Yeah, uh, it it is really for a lot of reasons. It's really John Oliver good.
0: did uh, a good piece on automation.
1: Oh
2: yeah, yeah. Because there's uh, a lot of
0: argument that it would create more jobs.
2: L- let me double check that. Uh, real quick. I've heard that. that. I've heard
1: that though. I don't know about John Oliver, but like I've definitely heard that argument.
2: But then the third one that I would look at too is uh, the Portal podcast with uh, Eric Weinstein and uh, his first episode with Peter Thiel. And they come uh, from a totally different perspective, which is uh, well, where is the automation, right? Like where is all this progress we keep talking about that's coming, Uh, which I think is also an incredibly jolting and jarring kind of uh, uh, take uh yeah. because you know they have a really interesting you know kind of thesis in general about the the total progress of the society and are we actually progressing at the rate we think we are or are we just kind of, are we all saying we are and nodding and agreeing because none of us want to like be like well I'm not progressing and then look like we're you know being left behind
0: yeah it's a lot of like uh birds of paradise types of like everybody just like flashing their feathers and like it but that's what you have to do to be successful yeah anything really you have to like portray this image of success and progress yeah that's interesting like is it actually happening Mm -hmm. um back in like the 60s and 70s they were making cars that could go like they got like 40 miles a gallon and now like the prius like the big like you know energy efficient car gets like 45 on the highway yeah, or, or in town or like by one or the other but like what like it's been 40 years, almost 50 years and we haven't i mean figured uh, that out yet
2: now the you know the things that we have kind of optimized for and that make it harder is uh now the cars are safer so they're heavier which makes them less fuel efficient and now they have different gizmos and gadgets that add you know computer space to it and weigh weigh the car down more so uh, I don't
0: know, man. Those cars were heavy as hell back in the center. They were made out of steel. It's true, but uh, <laughs> now uh, they're made out of plastic. And now we
2: need them to collapse better for for impact, you know, and safety and that kind of stuff. So it's it's a uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's oil companies. I think it's uh, a lot of things. You know, there are a few systems today that uh, incentives just aren't aligned across mm-hmm. the system, uh, and not for the sake of you know. Uh, it's not malice it's just when you let too many people have voices in uh you know regulation uh, they end up optimizing for themselves surprise surprise and so uh you know some of those systems are like uh, healthcare today and mm-hmm. uh, how obamacare was created and the fact that you know the uh, insurance companies got a seat at the table when they were crafting obamacare and now all of a sudden the thing that's supposed to kind of supplant in uh, uh healthcare insurance companies ended up optimizing to make sure that they were protected in the system it's like well what did that do to everyone well it didn't you know it wasn't good for the consumer uh education's another one that i could go into for hours yeah my parents Uh, were
0: teachers so i could i could too
2: the entire uh education system is optimized to uh birds of paradise it literally to everyone pretending like what they're doing is really good and uh really smart and everyone's getting a's because everyone's an A player kind of thing. And yeah, it's just no, like,
1: yeah.
2: uh, it's creating this bubble of success that like it could false. ripple way across our society. I mean, yeah. why do you think people, uh, uh, one of the reasons anyways, why is there so much uh, mental, you know, kind of stress on people these days? Well, what if it's because we grew up Everyone succeeding so much uh in everything they do mm-hmm. and then kinda of like life hits you in the face and you don't know how to cope with that because yeah. you didn't build those mechanisms. So Wait, kidding. I'm
0: not the best. Yeah, I know, right? happened.
2: It just uh gosh, so many tangents and rabbit holes. Yeah. But
0: there was something recently where like uh I, I can't I think it was like a school board or like a district or like they got caught like basic, not like cheating the test, but they were like just making it easier. Yeah, mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah, and just like make their school like, oh, look at all, like all of our grades are going up. Like yeah. progress, well, right? So progress. this is what I'm
2: talking about with the aligned incentives, right? As a school, your goal is for everyone to get really good grades and everyone to graduate because yeah. that's what you kind uh, uh, of... So tell you measure your success. Exactly. You measure it on graduation rate and you measure it on school, like college placement. Mm-hmm. And in order for kids to go to good colleges, they need good grades. And in right. order for them to graduate, they need to pass. And right. like you the the incentives are not there to actually measure and test students and really even teach them you know like you're you're teaching them now for tests and being able to do well on standardized tests instead of actually grasp complex topics Right. And it's just uh, there there's so much issue with the way that this incentives are aligned there uh, i mean it's wild did
0: you guys go to public school
2: I did. Yeah. I did i went to public school no i didn't knives and all
0: yeah and <laughs> grew knives. up on the school bus man it was no it was great uh <laughs> Yeah, I we could go on and on about education. Uh it was pretty piss poor, in my opinion. I honestly I thought my college education was kind of a joke too. Agree. I uh in, in all honesty, I, I didn't really like study that hard. I just studied the nights before test and I was still on the honor roll, like my last two years of school. Yeah, I mean like, I don't know
2: how that happened, but it's like so I, I wasn't was in, challenged that much. I was in a really great program at the University of Alabama, uh, the Fellows program there. That is probably the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, a very, very uh, good program. But uh, you know, my other you know parts of my education, by no specific fault of their own, because they're all operating in the same system that every other college is doing, made it so that I was learning everything for the test. I was uh, doing way more memorizing than uh you know grasping complex topics it was all about mm-hmm. can you figure out uh what questions are going to be asked on the test and how they're going to be worded and then just develop that schema to plug and play and and go study guides. and it's just yeah. it is it is not how you actually teach anyone at all yeah i mean that's i respect the hell out of
0: pat uh, pat's one of our coworkers. um you know he left school to go study under you know mike greg or greg mike is it mike greg or greg mike I've seen it both. Mike ways. Greg, I, <laughs> I think. think it's Mike Craig. Um, And it's just like, yeah, he just applied it and like just went and lived it and learned it. And like he's one of the most talented artists I've ever met. Oh, yeah. And school, you're right. It's just like they're going to like narrow it down for you and say just follow these steps and you'll pass. You mm-hmm. really don't learn anything until five years later when you're out in the real world and you get hit in the fucking face with reality. You're yeah. right. like, shit, i got to start all over again.
2: Yeah, and it's like uh, – uh, you know, everyone now has to go to college in order to get a good job. Yeah. Right. But then everyone can also with the same uh, hand say, yeah, I didn't really learn that much in college. You know, and it's like, it's crazy. What kind of system are we it's making? So watered down. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> where it's like, I know this is not benefit from me. I'm going to be in debt for the majority of the rest of my life because of it, but I have to do it in order mm. to get, you know, a job that pays more than, you know, 40 K a year kind of thing. And it's just like, why did we make this the way things work? And it's I, it's about aligned incentives.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, you know, we were talking about renewable resources earlier, and I have a cousin that went to trade school, and he, I think it took him like you know a year or two, and he works in the energy sector, and like he's making bank, like he like does really well. Yeah, and like he just he didn't go to college. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just it blows my mind. Like there's. I feel like we're getting obviously off topic, but it does all kind of come back to like the irrationality of education, of, you know, our energy system of, you know, our cars, transportation, how we live and money. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's been a heck of a day, Dave. Uh,
1: Yeah. Going back to like irrationality. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. I'm going to tie it back in. Like, okay. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so like uh 50 minutes later. <laughs> proof of work, proof of work is irrationally high in energy consumption. It's just a completely complicated like set of calculations. And in your article you say
2: it's not a bug, it's a feature. Can you explain that? Totally. So, you know, uh uh it's the fact that you know, if we created a system where money can be created out of thin air, we that, have that system, right yeah, we would already have that. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we do have that. But like that system wouldn't be an efficient system of value creation. If you can just create value out of thin air with no cost, then you're just going to keep on creating value and eventually you're going to inflate the heck out of the value and it's not going to be valuable, right? Proof of work is a beautiful system where you have to expend a crap ton of energy and a crap ton of uh, you know computational resources in order to be able to produce these 12.5 Bitcoins in a 10 minute period that we have today. And it's like, uh, uh, that should be seen as a necessity to make something that's truly valuable. You need to have a cost to create the Bitcoins and that cost should be just about the equivalent of how much the Bitcoins are worth, right? That's just logical. If you're going to create something that's worth, uh, 12.5 uh you know bitcoin's times 10k which is you know uh 1.25 million that's mm-hmm. not right. $125,000 right uh, yeah <laughs> every 10 minutes you're going to have to sorry let me put this another way. If you start from a, a fundamental belief of uh you know the second law of thermodynamics uh or the first law of thermodynamics which is energy cannot be created or destroyed. Right. Value is energy in a box. It's energy that you can store. And one of the the most effective ways to be able to store it and make it continue to uh, retain its value or even grow in value is to make it transportable. So if you have a mechanism by which you can convert energy into a uh, long-term store of value that you can transact, mm-hmm. that is nearing a perfect system. And so you can't just... Create these bitcoins out of thin air. You have to transfer the value of the energy it takes to create them, and kind of imbue that into the bitcoins in order for them to actually be the value that they are. Otherwise, it's just pure speculation, uh, and that's really uh, the heart of, and you know, in my opinion, in, in the Brandon thesis, uh, what makes Bitcoin valuable. It's that it is so cost-intensive to create new ones. And then, you know, I also make the argument in the the article that because it's so energy intensive, that makes it that much more secure. Not, now, not only do you have to find a whole bunch of miners uh, to attack this uh, Bitcoin, you know, blockchain, but you also have to uh, get the energy to power all of those miners. And uh, that would drive up the cost of energy. You know, like uh, it's so difficult to be able to do all of that. Not to mention, I think I also go into this in the article, but you know, say you have 51% hash power now. Well, in order to get an attack that's economically uh, secure, you know, we generally use the rule of thumb of six confirmations because that's what makes it economically kind of hard to go ahead and reverse because it's like, you know, six block rewards and six amounts of transactions confirmed and all this kind of thing. Uh, But if you only have 51% and you're trying to attack, that means that you need to mine six blocks in a row in order for your attack to be actually, you know, viable. And how long does it take if, you know, 51% is basically a coin flip, how how many times you have to flip a coin in order to get heads six times? You know, it's not easy. Uh, and while that's happening, the rest of the Bitcoin mining space is adding on more miners, is adding on more hash power. It's getting more and more difficult to attack. It is such a difficult system to attack already. You know, I'm never going to put something out there that's going to make me have, you know. Uh, Dunce written on my face, but it is so difficult to tack already. It w- you would be hard pressed to convince me that it would ever be physically possible. Right.
1: Cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. That's pretty cool.
2: <laughs> the equivalent amount of the energy consumed by New Zealand today.
0: How big is New Zealand?
2: Big? <laughs> did I don't you, know. Did it's, it's a country.
0: <laughs> did you do any research, Brandon? Here, I'll look it up.
2: Several square kilometers. Can <clears> I tell you the square kilometers of New Zealand off the top of my head? I uh, don't. I've never heard of. You'd a be a freak. I don't know what a that or
1: you is. just put it in your article that you just read. Really yeah, I would just I'm an put American, it in the article and actually, right.
2: you know, do a good job. But uh, Let's talk miles.
1: <laughs> Talking. I talk in miles. miles. Talking miles. Talking <laughs> diameters.
0: I talk in three things. I talk miles. I talk feet, and I talk beef.
1: All right. And sometimes when I'm the Boston Whaler, I talk knots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man this episode's all over the place now brandon when you're talking about uh the energy that's what it like the uh, bitcoin could should cost like the energy in energy out like that's the value of it it makes sense right it makes sense it makes me think of how much the u.s mint loses making pennies yeah like it's silly uh like wasting copper to yeah. make pennies uh, I'm looking at it right here. Uh, it says they lost sixty-nine million dollars last year, making pennies between the loss of copper and um, shipping cost.
1: I felt like ninety. <laughs> I felt like ninety-seven percent of pennies were zinc.
0: I think uh, they have a little bit of copper in them.
2: Okay, it, I might be wrong. Uh, it was, what's interesting, though, and this is like another thing that I've said before, but uh, when a country, it costs more money for them to print the value of the money they're printing, right? Like uh, they're printing, let's say a billion dollars and it costs them $2 billion to print it. In product. You have literally just destroyed your economy. Like uh, I I said this, I think in terms of Venezuela, but you know, Venezuela, I think now basically prints, like it costs them more to print, like the paper itself is more valuable than the Mm -hmm. number printed on it.
0: Well, we had that we had that stack of boulevards here, and like that's yeah. really like nice money. Mm-hmm. Like like when you, it's like a new hundred. Like there's yeah. like that kind of like uh, like holographic like type print on it. Yeah, and like it feels like not, like it's thick money. It's not
2: crappy. Like so, that you know, costs you don't, the money to make that. They don't want you to counterfeit uh, the money. You know, it's it's they make worth, it not it, yeah. worth. You know, yeah, exactly. Worth anything. Uh, but but yeah, so like it's. When you don't even have a mechanism by which you can inflate your currency in order to keep up with the cost of printing the money, like where do you go from there? Yeah. You know, you have to just press the reset button and start over. Just Uh, blow it all up. Yeah. Start a war. Maybe you invent something called the petro and force people to use it. But (laughs) so uh, there's been a lot of
0: talk about an impending recession. And I'm just curious, do you think it's gonna happen again? And do you think it's going to be, if it does, do you think it's going to be as bad as it was
2: in 2008? It's a good question. So the housing bubble was unprecedented, right? Like, uh, that's crazy. And uh, it's the reason why this last recession was so bad. I'm not going to downplay the effects of a recession, but the last one we had was awful, right? right. Well, the housing market uh, is way more stable now. Right. And so like what a recession is on its face isn't that like that? It That was almost a depression, right? Like the, there were a lot of economic measures by which you could actually call that a depression, right? A recession is when you just have like, I think it's three quarters of GDP, uh, uh, decline or maybe it's a, a stock market decline. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what it is, but like, it's a, it's an actual thing and it, it doesn't have to be that bad to be considered a recession. So when we talk about recession, yes, it's bad, but it's not crazy 2008 kind of bad necessarily, right? I think that a recession is probably inevitable just from the standpoint of the fact that we're, we've are we been in the longest bull market in the history of the United States, right? Like uh, uh, the past, what, 15, 17 years? Uh, no, whoa, sorry. Uh, the past... Let's we'll see, it would have started... I'd say about 100 10, years. The past 10 years. Well, yeah, 100 years, right? But... Uh, <laughs> The past ten years, basically, we've been in a bull market. That makes sense, because um,
0: yeah, that makes sense, because so, I, I think it started with Obama, right? Yeah. Or like that was kind of like the upward tick there.
2: Basically, when you when you measure the bottom of the uh, sell off of the stock market to now, which I think the bottom happened somewhere in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a really long growth cycle, and we went really high in the growth cycle too. You deserve like the the markets all would say that like you are due for some cooling off, uh, and some downward trends for a little while, and that's just a part of a healthy market, right? Uh, what the caveats all of that is kind of two things, and the first one is the the classic question of if everyone expects it to be a recession, will there be a recession? I don't know. Like self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, basically. Right. Will it make it more likely? Will it make it less likely? Will people trade against it? Will people like and end up uh, making it happen just because they think it's going to happen, right? Who knows? Uh, that's one of those economic questions that you can't really answer with any sort of 100% certainty. Uh, and the second thing is that we have been all trending towards these negative interest rates. So if the government's willing to go negative on their interest rates... Uh, presumably they can continue to just prop up and prop up and prop up the economy to where by no metrics, are we actually technically in a recession? Uh, except for the fact that everyone just doesn't seem to be progressing in our society. Just seems like it's falling in quicksand. And yet they have this, uh, never ending rope that they keep pulling down to kind of keep themselves from going under, you know, it's like, uh, uh, the rope is falling too, but they can keep kind of pulling up on it as it's falling. Uh, uh, we're almost trying to create like a little perpetual motion machine. Hmm. It means that when you finally actually do fall and you run out of rope, you know the crash is that much worse. But it is possible that we've created some sort of a way by which you can basically suspend the downward movement uh, at the trade-off of probably a lot longer sideways movement. It's I don't know it's it's all, hypothesis and conjecture
0: as matthew mcconaughey would say it's all
2: fairy dust it is it's a flat (laughs) circle man you know what i do i just buy bitcoin i don't worry about it and uh i know that not investment advice right not financial (laughs) advice i'm talking about what i what i do uh and the system that we're creating with bitcoin is just by all measures comparably a better system and and so that's what i focus on And then you just kind of let the rest kind of inevitably play out.
1: The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network theme music provided by Billy Sly from the Crypto Cantina. Visit BitcoinMagazine.com for more in-depth news, analysis, and resources about the most successful peer-to-peer currency. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine. Find and subscribe to the show wherever else you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Remember, it really helps us improve the show. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.